0: Psalm 2. And we're going to read it and then we're going to open up in prayer. And uh, we begin on page 4 tonight. T- tonight this morning. <laughs> Maybe I'm not awake. It is. It is night. And uh, we are, I'm sorry, we're going to end on page 4. We'll start on page 2 with having the right perspective of leadership and I've God. Like we'll do every single time, Lord willing, uh, we'll start with a little video that will set the trajectory um, for today, and we'll do a little review, uh, and then and then jump right in. Talk about having the right perspective on leadership this morning. We're going to talk about um, uh, applying the word. It's the whole theme today is application. You know, applying the word. We're laying these foundational convictions. We want to be men. Of grace and granite Uh, we can't do anything apart from the empowerment of the Lord Jesus Christ it's his grace it's his power Um, but that grace turns us into granite we submit to it and so it's not um, it's not soft and uh, and effeminate or fluffy it's uh, the strength that comes through truth and so uh, we're laying some foundational convictions um, and we'll continue with that uh, with that this morning. Uh, toward the end, we'll actually look at a couple passages of scripture of how you apply the truth, how, how you do that. Um, so we're going to go to Psalm two. We're going to read, and then we're going to pray. Um, and those aren't just words that are there. They're it's, it's it's the very words of our Creator. He's speaking, and so we don't want to just hear Him. We want to. We want to do what he says, or consider what he says, or put into practice what he says. So, how do you do that? That's that's vital uh, in growth and in in, in the Christian life. So, we'll look at some specific questions that we can ask ourselves. Whether we do a, you know, a personal Bible study in the morning, your devotions, whether you're sitting under a sermon, whether you're in Grace and Granite, whatever it uh, whatever it might be, and um, it's uh, it's good stuff. It's also convicting um, uh, stuff, which is. Uh, which is why I'm here. Um, I think we said they want, I have no desire to get out of get out of bed in the morning, um, you know, and just hear words. I mean, I want God I want God to get my lunchbox, um, and I want Him to eat my sandwich if He needs to uh, dig around in my underwear drawer. Yes, yeah, that's right. Wherever you hide stuff, um, and uh, and I want to get rid of it. Uh, because I want to, I want to be close to the Lord. I don't want anything between, you know, between me and and, and Him. Um, and that's not a, uh, uh, that's not a, the, the goal of perfection. The Lord will perfect us one day. I mean, redemption—that's what we're all looking forward to. The, the final, very presence of sin gone. Um, it's not perfection, but it is direction. You know, I want to be aimed in that direction. I want to pursue. Uh, you know that direction um, I can remember my pastor saying when I die I know the Lord's going to have to change me a whole lot you know the penalty of sin is done away with at the cross, the moment of salvation all of your sins are forgiven, the penalty's completely gone and then you've heard progressive sanctification the power of sin is progressively taken out in your life as you yield to the Lord and He works so that happens over your life but then at death, whenever we're we're, we're resurrected, we're absent from the body, present with the Lord, and ultimately the physical resurrection, whenever we're ultimately with the Lord at the end of our lives, that's the full redemption, so then the very presence of sin is gone. So the penalty, salvation, the power of sin is, is overcome in our life, and then the very presence of sin is gone, and we all can't wait for that day, and my pastor was talking about that day. I know when that day comes, when the Lord takes the very presence of sin away, completes my sanctification, he's going to have to change me a whole lot. Um, But I want him to have to change me as little as possible. Uh, Whatever I can do, whatever effort, labor, uh, yielding to the Lord that I can do over my life, that's what I want to do. Um, So... Uh, and that's my it's been my prayer, and hopefully it's uh, it's yours. So Psalm two, um, who wants to read Psalm two for
1: me uh, this morning? Why did I pick Psalm two? Because we did
0: Psalm one last time. <laughs> well, I did pick Psalm two because today is the second of October, and so this would be my normal devotional uh, schedule. You may want to read Psalm 2, thank you. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments. That's Proverbs 2, oh, Psalm 2. <laughs> That's That's yeah, I that. understand. <laughs> Proverbs on the day, Psalm on the day, both of
2: them are great. Why do
3: the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs; the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, "As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will decree, and I will tell of the decree." The Lord said to me, "You are my son; today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession." You shall break with them the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. <coughs> Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
0: Amen. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's a messianic Psalm, talking about the Lord. Mm-hmm. And... Um, there's a couple places in this in this psalm that uh, that my heart soars. Um, you, you get this human rebellion, and then verse four: He who sets in the heavens laughs, um, as if puny man can do anything <laughs> uh, to the Lord. Second place is in verse six. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Um, Jerusalem is a special place. Why is it a special place? Uh, if you turn on CNN or wherever else, it's because all of the religions of the world are there. Christians and Muslims and, and, um, and Jews. They all claim Jerusalem, um. Why is Jerusalem a special place? Because it's Zion. It's it's the holy, it's the holy hill. Um, it is Mount Moriah. It is where Abraham took Isaac. Um, and that great passage of uh, uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him, accounted unto him for righteousness. And the Lord provided his own sacrifice why is it special because the pinnacle of history is the Lord Jesus and that's where he died why is it special because that's where the kingdom is going to come the throne of David is in Jerusalem and it's coming today and the Lord's done all of that um, and it is uh, the last is verse the end of verse 12 how blessed are all they who take refuge in him after talking about the wrath that's coming of the son He comes as the Savior first, the Judge second. Um, You're blessed if you take refuge in Him, if you're hidden in Him. Um, If you're hidden in Him, the the judgment will pass over. It's pass over to you. It's a certain report on Him. Let's pray. Father, we uh, just come before You, and um, we take refuge in You. I would dare not uh, even think about standing before you in my own righteousness. Um, I don't even want to use the term righteousness as it relates to me. Um, I understand, Lord, after salvation, and you have empowered me, and you have worked in me that I can do uh, righteous things because of your work. But without you or before you, your word says that my righteousness is as a filthy rags. And I don't even call it righteousness. It's, it's, it's worse than, than filthy rags. Um, but Father, in you, in your Son, I am um, holy and beloved. I am clean. I am a new creation. Um, it is a wonderful thing to take refuge in you. And then when I think, Father, about... Uh, why I need to take refuge because of your wrath that is just um, will be upon my life, that is coming upon the world one day. I rejoice uh, uh, even more. And I think about, Lord, the, the lives that, are, that many are living this morning, the life that, that we lived before we came to know you, um, acting as if we were God, acting as if you were not, you sit in the heavens and, and laugh. It's it's not a uh, you know a sense of, of being callous that you're that you're somehow callous, Lord. It. It's, um, it's 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 human pride. It's 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 the Tower of Babel. It's it's, it's what what men do. Um, they seek their own righteousness and then um, are clothed in their own nakedness, but think that they are. Uh, that they are arrayed in in royal garments. And uh, I, am, I am thankful that You are the Lord. I am thankful that You are seated in the heavenlies. I am thankful that You have declared the end from the beginning. I am thankful that Your counsel shall stand and nothing shall thwart it. I am thankful that You are the sovereign, ever-living One and there is not a rebel Adam in the universe. You are the Lord. And I am thankful, Father, that You have... Taking pleasure in Zion and you do that because of your son um, and we want to pay homage to him uh, we want to kiss the son we we want to acknowledge that he is the Lord and we do that this morning thank you for our time together thank you for our day um, help us to seek you and learn uh, help us to do that together we love you thank you for loving us in Jesus name
3: Amen. All right.
0: Um, so we're talking about foundational convictions, and we said that number one, we need to have a working biblical literacy. We need to have a working biblical literacy. We need to we need to know our Bibles. Um, and we looked at the pyramid. That the way that you get to application and putting the Bible into practice is the goal. That's the goal, right? Not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. So you got to hear the word first. So, then you got to do the Word. you got to put it into practice. So, that's the goal. How do you get there? So, we looked at our little pyramid. It starts with, uh, you, can, um, you can do this with an individual passage, or you can look at this like your whole life. My life began with a hunger to read the Bible. So, you read the Bible, but you don't really know how to interpret it or what to do with it. You just get in the Word and you start reading it. That's the, that's the very bottom of the pyramid. And then you begin to learn how to study the Bible. Inductive Bible study, hermeneutics, whatever term you want to use there. You learn the rules of the game. You, you learn context. You learn, okay, is this, a, is this a letter Paul wrote or is this a narrative? Is this telling a story or this is, is this commanding? Is it a, a wisdom passage? You learn how to study. And then after that, you, you go to the next level, which is realizing that there is a storyline to the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation it's his story he's telling the story there's a panorama it begins here and it ends in, in eternity that's called biblical theology there's a there's a there's a storyline there and you begin to see how it how it uh, all folds out then you you learn that that there are doctrines that are taught consistently throughout the scripture that's called systematic theology and so you know you don't want to go there first you want to understand. You want to read the Bible, then you want to understand it in context, and and then you want to see the panorama, and then but then you'll begin to see these truths, okay, about salvation, about the church, you know, about man, and you, you'll see that. Then the final stage, obviously, is what we call practical theology, and that's just practicing it. Okay, you don't try to put it into practice. You don't want to just go to the practice part without having a foundation of being in the Word, without understanding what the Word says, without seeing where it. It you know it fits in the in the continuum, and then testing it against other things. Now you do that naturally. You you do that whenever you read uh, something on the internet or whenever you read the you read the newspaper. You read it. You automatically calculate. Oh, this is a newspaper article, or this is a, you know something on the internet, or this is a book, and you're already processing that it's a different genre. Newspaper article would be different from reading a, a novel, um, and, and then and then you're, you're trying to figure out the you know the, the context of it, um, and then you're 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 putting that into a grid system of what you've already learned, and then if there's something that, that's there for you to consider, buy this or or uh, you know this new diet plan or whatever it might be, you're figuring out how to put it into put it into practice, and um, we do that obviously uh, with the, you know with the word. Um, so, uh, it's not merely an academic exercise. What we're doing is not merely an academic exercise. It's to put the word in practice. So you got to believe it, you got to know it, you got to memorize it, and you got to meditate on it. Um, last week we talked about memorizing scripture. Is, did anybody memorize a passage that you want to, you want to quote this morning? You may memorize a passage last week you did you memorize a passage all right how many of you memorized the passage amen praise God good for you good for you Um, we then talked about being alert uh, uh, to the challenges of the digital age Um, there's lots of things to take us away and distract us Um, one of my favorite stories about being intentional Did I tell you the story about Spurgeon Um, and the, the man who came to visit him whenever he was, when he was uh, preparing a sermon I didn't tell you about this one last time It was one of my favorite stories I'm glad I did because I get to tell it um, Spurgeon guarded Saturdays he read all week he did all of his work all week but Saturdays that was the day that he that he put together his information for, for Sunday whenever he was going to preach and he would be alone, and he wouldn't do he wouldn't do anything else, uh, you know, that day. And it was in his study. This is a, an illustration about guarding your time with the Lord, being intentional about that, building high walls. And uh, so it's Saturday evening, and somebody comes knocking on the door, and says, "I must see, I must see, Mr. Spurgeon. I must see, Mr. Spurgeon." And so uh, the doorkeeper comes. He um, says, he can't be disturbed. You know, i got to see him. i got to see him. He goes, knocks on the door, and Spurgeon says, I can't be interrupted. You know, you know what I'm doing. You tell him that, you know, whatever it is, isn't it, you know, we'll see him tomorrow. And um, so he goes back, and he tells the man, you know, Mr. Spurgeon's unavailable. He can't see you. Uh, he can't see you now. And uh, the man very indignantly says, you tell Mr. Spurgeon, a servant of the Most High God is here to see him. And so the man reluctantly goes and tells Mr. Spurgeon um, that what the man says, he says to say, a servant of the Most High God is is here to see you. You must see him. And Spurgeon, in his Spurgeon-esque way, says, well, tell him I'm with his master right now and I cannot be disturbed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you are with the master, nothing should disturb you other than a, uh, you know, five alarm fire. Is there such things as a five alarm fire? Whatever's above a three alarm. Um, and uh, that's what you, you have to be intentional about that. You have to turn your phones off, you have to do something, um, you know, something sometimes uh, radical. But external change <coughs> follows internal change. And um, so we're going to talk about how to do that uh, this morning. This is a video from Paul Tripp um, on knowledge doesn't mean maturity, Uh, and you are going to hear uh, one of the reasons that we do uh, that we're doing this class. One of the reasons that we do expository seminary, Um, actually training in the local church, because knowledge alone. Is is not the goal. So pay attention to this and think about um, think about your own uh, lives.
4: Function as a mechanism for spiritual blindness that you talk about in the book is when can function as a mechanism for spiritual blindness that you talk about in the book is. Paul, one of the themes that can function as a mechanism for spiritual blindness that you talk about in the book is when biblical literacy and uh, the quest for biblical knowledge and the acquisition of that is uh, misunderstood for spiritual maturity. Talk about how that is such a danger for pastors and ministry. I mean, Clearly, it's, it's dangerous to think that because I know a thing, I am
2: that thing because I can communicate an idea, I have submitted myself to that idea, and I can live in the context of that idea. But it's very easy to do that, and one of the reasons it's easy to do that is because we have so academized the faith, and often pastoral
1: training is so entirely academic
2: that a subtle shift begins to happen that my definition of my maturity is now attached to my theological expertise, my biblical literacy. It's, it's very clear that I can understand things that are not living. That, that don't define, shape, motivate, shepherd, guide, whatever term you want to use, the way I respond in the hallways and kitchens, bathrooms and bedrooms of, of everyday life, you can be theologically astute and be dramatically spiritually immature. And so, to the degree that I begin to think, I'm okay because I've mastered this body of truth, is very, very dangerous. I mean, really what I should be asking is, what, to what degree... Have, has my life been mastered by this body of truth? And when I when I just right now I ask this question, I feel sadness because it, oh yeah, in, in so many ways. But in so many ways, there's still evidence. I'm not. Can I give you an example? This is just uh, the way my wife just found out a few weeks ago that she had uh, a hole in her retina and had to have emergency eye surgery. When they opened her up, they realized she had three holes in her retina, and it was really very serious. We go back for the post-op appointment, and it's typical. We're three hours in. Now, I'm not
0: sitting there thinking, I love this woman.
2: If it was ten hours, because God
3: called
0: me to lay down my life for her,
2: I'd wait around thinking, this is in my day. I can't believe, I can't believe we've got to sit here. Well, no more than I have the thought, I think, how could you, how could you be here in this situation and ever think that? Because I'm still in need of redemption is the answer. I was very thankful afterwards for the quickness of my heart to grab a hold of and say, this is not where I want to be because that's grace. But I had the thought. And so, theologically, I could argue ten points of theology
0: that would address that moment. I could give them to you. I could write the book. But the struggle still goes on inside of
2: me. You cannot equate theological knowledge with a level of maturity. Huh? Whoa! That'll hurt the baby
0: right there, won't it? (laughs) That'll get you into weird door. That will
2: get
0: you. Amen. What's the title of that video? Knowledge doesn't mean maturity. Mm-hmm. Knowledge doesn't mean maturity. Now, I want you to put last what week. the questions that everybody. Last week and this week together, because you have to have the information in the till. To put it into practice, so this is not an anti-theological, anti-intellectual argument. Okay, you've got to have you've got to have the meat in the grinder in order to make the hamburger. But having the the data and understanding, being able to re-articulate it, is not spiritual growth. That's that's not where it happens. You can know a lot of stuff, but not be living a lot of of, of stuff, um, and that's why we're we're saying that, that, that the end goal is actually putting it into practice. But but you've got to, to know the theology in, in order to in order to be able to put it into into practice. So so how do you um, how do you do that? How do you combat that um, the the integrity gap, as as uh, Brother Mark has mentioned, I think uh, before, mm-hmm. um, the difference between what what you know versus what you what you put into practice. Um, the knowledge is not the the end game; practicing it is, and so we're on page two, number two, and we're talking about having the right perspective of, of, of leadership. Um, the right perspective of, of, of leadership it's advancing leadership is advancing and practicing the, the scriptures it's very different from what the world thinks we must avoid viewing leadership as an organization I can give you the 21 I won't use irrefutable laws of leadership because um, that's uh, what John what's his face uh love uh, the term that he put on it um, and I'm not recommending that book I recommend the Bible to you on leadership um, but it's very different leadership from the scriptures is very different from what you see in the world what you see what you see practiced um, I mean there's something about uh, worldly leadership that's that's attractive um, you know uh, I, I don't there's many times I turn on the news or I, I watch a little video clip uh, and I see President Trump and I just belly laugh i mean the 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 guy is is funny um, how different his leadership style is from from what is from what is expected you have models of leadership all you know all around you um, and you know bull in the china shop or the you know the the lead from behind that the, the term that they used to use under the Obama era or whatever it is. Um, what does the Bible have to say about about leadership? Uh, leadership is is not organization. It's not event planning. It's not mobilizing large groups of people. It's not garnering a following. Um, Jesus in in the Gospel of Mark says it's not lording it over. Um, it's not exercising authority. It's uh, it's not using your position to uh, to your advantage. It's using your position to the advantage of others, and it's not exercising authority uh, where you see your role as ruling. It's uh, it's seeing your your role as, as spending and being spent for for others. Um, it's actually helping others advance in the scriptures. It's helping others see the scriptures. It's helping others um, walk the path from wherever they're at to take the next step in the scriptures. Which obviously means that you have to do that, you know, in your in your own life. So you have to cling to cling to the scriptures. If leadership is advancing and practicing the scriptures yourself and bringing others along in that process, then you have to cling to the scriptures. Second um, Timothy 2.2 is a great passage uh, where Paul models leadership. <laughs> Paul says the things, um, t- t- tell, tells Timothy, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. It's common doctrine. This is not my, uh, you know, my little thing. This is, this is orthodox truth. You've heard it in the presence of many witnesses. This is not secret knowledge or, or Paul's way. This is truth. Um, you commit that commit that to other people so now Paul is telling Timothy to be a leader you take the truth and you commit it to other people um, and, and you do it for people that are faithful that, that are pursuing the Lord so they're going to be able to do the, the same thing so there you've got a pattern of of leadership happening um, Paul didn't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God in Acts 20 27 um said to the Galatians, am I now trying to please uh, God or please, or please men or please please God? Um, because he gave them something that was very, uh, very hard to, to grasp. 2 Timothy 1, 12-18 you have to be able to pass on the gospel. If I would ask you right now to give uh, a three minute, a five minute, ten minute uh Let's say you needed that much time. If I would ask you to give a clear articulation of the gospel, would you be able to do that? Could you give an articulation of the gospel? And I don't mean it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God, man, Christ, response. I'm talking about could could you tell people that biblical theology, that framework from Genesis to Revelation... And show them how Christ is 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 the is the pinnacle of that, and then their response, what what they're commanded to do in light of that. Could you do that? I can remember hearing R.C. Sproul saying that he was in D.C. one time, and he was at a you know like the national prayer gathering. I mean, these are like the, the the highfalutin you know muckety mucks of the theological world. These are the the guys, and a reporter, an unbelieving reporter, there. At all panel of them, just you know, they're talking uh, about the social gospel, they're talking about this and talking about that, and all these little nuances. And this one reporter, little girl little lady raises her hand and says, um, "What is the gospel?" She got her pen out. And Sproul said, one by one, he listened to these eggheads, just fumble all over themselves he said by the time he got to him he was like 5th or 6th in the list not a single person had given a clear articulation of the gospel yet and these are the guys that are supposed to be you know, the leaders of the, of the theological world I would say who cares how much knowledge that you have if you can't articulate the gospel to an unbelieving you know, reporter who is there um, and can you do that in a very con- clear and, and concise way you must be able to pass on the gospel um, and to pass it on you've got to know it And then in Titus 1.9 you must be able to refute. You must be able to refute error. You see, well, that's man. Okay, I get the gospel piece. I know I'm, a, I'm supposed to be a witness. And i want to share with people. I'm share with my kids. I'm to share with my grandkids. But it's not just my job as a pastor to be able to refute error or to be able to communicate the gospel. That's your job, as well as a believer. And, and it's even more your job as a man. I mean. If your wife is more spiritual than you are, push this, push the accelerator. Now, you, there may be circumstances with that. You know, you may not come to Christ until later in life. Um, all, all kinds of, all kinds of reasons. I didn't say does she know more. Um, you know, uh, can she write better? Uh, does she read more? Um, you know, is she more articulate? Um, but if she can communicate the gospel or knows more about the Lord than you do that paradigm needs to needs to, needs to shift and obviously it, it, it is because you're here this morning so praise the Lord you have to meticulously and faithfully pass on the scriptures so you say yes I know the gospel yes I'm pursuing that are you passing that on do you have a Timothy in your life Yeah, I, I, very simple uh, my, my same pastor said, Brian, you, you need to have a, you heard this before, you need to have a Paul in your life, you need to have a Barnabas in your life, and you need to have a Timothy in your life. You need to have a Paul, you need to have somebody that's pulling you along. They're farther along. They're, they're you know, come on, Brian, let's go. You know, Alright, that's wonderful. You mastered that. Now, let's think about this. You need to have somebody that's pulling you along. That's a, That's a Paul. You have that. You have somebody like that in your life. Or have you isolated yourself and it's just you and Whoever else. Then you need a Barnabas in your life. The Barnabas is the guy who walks with you. It's about the same level, you know. Walking along. I'm struggling the same level that he's struggling with. And, and we commiserate together and we encourage one another. Um, most people have that. Most people. Um, and then a Timothy. And that's somebody that you're pulling along. You don't need to be. You know, an expositor seminary grad to do that. Um, The man that first poured into me some foundational truths was a 60-some-year-old guy who really wasn't that articulate, um, very unassuming. He's with the Lord now. Um, And he just took me to Bob Evans a couple times a month. And we just, you know, ate. sausage bowls and eggs and talked about Jesus. And he gave me just little statements that I still remember. You know, Brian, you're gonna run in I mean, I was wrestling with something. I said, this, this passage and I don't understand that passage and I've shared it with you before. He said, Brian, you're gonna run in a lot of things in the Bible that you don't understand. And it may not be the time for you to understand it. You gotta know some things before you can know some things. So whenever that happens, don't get all worked up about it. Just pigeonhole it. You know, just put it up there and go back to studying. And when the Lord's ready, he'll bring that down and he'll put it into the puzzle. Now, we went to Bible college? Man, that was wise advice. I've used it for 20 some years. But you have a Timothy. You have somebody that you're doing that with. You say, well, I, I, I don't know how to do that. I'm just take him to Bob Evans to talk about Jesus. Talk about the sermon from last week. Let them ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. because what's that going to do? I'm going to drive you to go you know, to go get the answer. I had somebody ask me a question after service on Sunday night. Um, and the, the question was about Jonah, um, where God says uh, he's going to destroy Nineveh, and then he relents of doing that. Because they repented, and the question had to do with you know, well, did God already know that they were going to repent? And if so, then how does that play into God's omniscience? Um, so that it either seems to me that God didn't know that they were going to repent, or he changed his mind. So, how does all that work? And it was after service, and I gave an answer, and I can remember thinking as I was answering, um, I, like, I know what I want to say, but but I just remember thinking this person that's listening to the answer to this question if I'm confused at what I'm saying I'm listening to myself say I'm sure that they're, that they're very confused <laughs> so I said you know what send me an email um, and then I'll answer the question you know, hopefully I'll be better I'll be more articulate then and they did and and I did that yeah, yeah? a pastor once preached on that message and uh, that issue
3: and he pointed out that um, God is at first merciful Mm -hmm. and then judgment comes so when you think about what God had done with the Israelites he repented of the evil not evil in a bad way but in a judgment way so if you remember that God is merciful
0: first Mm -hmm. that goes a long way to explaining that Amen. so I sent her an email yesterday and I was much more articulate but I had to go back through. I mean, I've answered that question before. I asked that question. I asked the question, where you know God is, you know, sends the you know the angel to Abraham, and Abraham looks like he's saying to the Lord, you know, he's more merciful than God. You know, if there's if there's fifty, you know, will you spare Sodom, and he gets down to you know to ten, or or in Egypt. Uh, and um, my point is, questions are not bad. You might not be able to give the. You know, the, the most beautiful answer but then that will drive you back to clarify it or re-clarify it in my case in your own mind um, and so just pass the scriptures on but you got to be intentional about that and and don't be afraid to say what God said whatever God said it's not your job to, you know, to make it up or to give an answer um, and then pass it on and be able to refute error alright let's look at number three apply the word to life's hardest questions I guess that may classify as one of those hard questions right take the truth and work it out practically it's not just an academic exercise um, I'm on page 2 3a take the truth and work it out practically understanding how something works is not the same as using it. Um, It's your job with the truth to get to application. Work it out. That's how you learn. Um, My favorite example of this, you've heard before, um, but I love it so much, I'll tell it again and remind you, maybe some of you haven't heard it, the Karate Kid, right? Right? This analogy before, not the second one, the first one. Um, Daniel San and Mr. Miyagi. And the little boy, the guy wants to learn karate because he's being picked on. So the old man says, finally agrees to teach him karate, and he he goes through a process. He basically thinks he's he's being made a slave, right? He comes over and he's ready to learn karate, and the first thing that he has him do is paint this fence that goes all the all the way around, you know, I mean this is massive fence, and he tells him to paint it a specific way, you know, up and then down, and up and down, he does this all day long, and then he comes back the next day, okay, alright, I'll give the, the old man a pass. He comes back the next day, and he, he has him sand the floor. You know, and he's standing on the floors and he makes him do it a specific way and he does it I mean and it's just everywhere I mean this big long um, whatever it's called sidewalk and he comes back the next day he has him wax all these cars I don't know how many cars there are up and finally the guy the, the guy's mad and he said you know you're using me I came to you to learn karate and I haven't learned any karate all I've been doing is all of your you know your work. And then the man shows him, the old man shows him he's been learning karate, you know, the whole He says, show me paint the fence. So he throws a he throws something at him and he goes like this, you know, and then he goes like that, you know, and then he says, you know, show me sand the, uh, you know, sand the floor, and he does this, show me, you know, wax the car. So he te- shows him that he's been learning uh, practice the, you know, the, the whole time. Take the truth and work it out. Um. Practice it. Um, and you'll it sink in. You'll learn it. Um, <clears throat> that begins by renewing the mind. You know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, Seat you, therefore, brethren, for the mercies of God. To present your bodies a living sacrifice. Um, and renewing that. Why do you need to renew your mind? Been, been full of wrong thinking yeah. all your
2: life. Your older, I think the older we were, uh, when we got saved, the more of that wrong thinking we've accumulated. But, well, more uh, <coughs> difficult procedure. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Show me, you know, the way a person lives their life is based on what they believe. What you do reveals what you believe. You know, doing comes from believing. And then that's based on authority. So our authority is the Scriptures, but we haven't submitted ourselves to the Scriptures. We haven't read the whole Bible. Maybe not. Maybe for time, you know, we haven't been able to put it all in practice. But you have an authority. And so that's the renewing of your mind. The Bible needs to Not only tell you what to do, but it tells you what to think. To think about God, to think about yourself. So there's your authority. And as you renew your mind, you know, you rip out the old stuff. I use this analogy in, you know, my relationship with Tracy. We we dated from the time we were sixteen. When I got saved, you know, Cinderella's pumpkin wasn't waiting there to whisk us off to the castle. And you know, it's fairy tale. We have eight years of building a relationship on a worldly foundation. And we're, you know, now all that has to be revamped. And it's a whole lot easier to build a house than to remodel a house, especially while you're living in it, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're living in the relationship. And, and you're walking along, and then, you know, you step on a board and you fall through. That's a worldly foundation. i got to rip that up while you're living in the middle of the house. And you've got to lay the right foundation. Um, so, renewing the mind. i got to learn. What am, I, what am I supposed to think about being a man? What am I supposed to think about a woman? What am I supposed to think about marriage? What am I supposed to think? And it's not, again, just knowing, oh, i, I got a bad thought there. It's what's the right thought, and then how do I start practicing that thought, and then how do I practice it to the point that it becomes second nature? I mean, that, that's, the whole, that's the whole thing. So it's not just putting it into practice once, and that takes time, right? So, the renewing of the mind. Happens, and then that works out in life. So, so look at—we're talking about renewing of the minds. B under B there on the next page. This is this is what I just explained. Application is the final step, not the first step. Everyone wants application. Just tell me what to do, preacher. But not the work that it takes to get there. Um, I can tell you what to do but that doesn't mean it's going to take hold in your life because there's a process for that to happen it starts with telling you what to do changing your thinking but true change must happen at the heart level not the externals before we can practically before we can make practical applications of the truth to our conduct just the way we live We must look at how the truth implicates our unbiblical thoughts, desires, affections, emotions, and and the will. Now, there's a big list there. You're thinking, how does this truth implicate me? How does this truth expose me? The way I'm thinking. Sometimes you need somebody else to help you do that. Um, My desires... What comes from with the heart? I mean, that's what defiles a person. It's from within. So how does the truth expose my heart, the desires that I have? Are they they the desires where God says, delight yourself in the Lord, and I'll give you the desires of your heart? Or is it desires of the flesh? How does this truth implicate that, expose that? Affections, uh, your longings, your what, what you're affected by. Your emotions and then your will. Your, your doing. Now look at that process. What you think turns into what you desire and then that turns into affections, what you're affected by. There's some motivation in there and then that turns into emotions. Joy and then that turns into Practice or, or the will. This next one, when we rush to make outward applications, we undermine our spiritual renewal by focusing on changes in mere behavior. How many times have you focused only on changing behavior? Um, like a hundred, okay. I mean, you know. It seems easier, it's harder. Um, than changing the thoughts and the desires and the affections and the emotions and the will. But when you rush to make outward application and you don't go through that pyramid, you don't go through that process, um, you, won't, you can only change behavior. Um, how does the Bible describe biblical growth? What are some of the analogies that the Bible uses for biblical growth? Huh? It's like a seed. Okay. Like a seed? All right? So, if you have gardens, you want to see a garden, you can go over to Ashton James. That dude's got a garden and a half. Um, I planted a garden. I didn't this year because it was too busy. But you go put that seed in the ground, at eight o'clock in the morning, you come back at dinner time, and it's a <laughs> full grown, you know year You pull the ear of the corn off and you take it to your wife to cook for dinner. Right? It takes time. Uh, my grandfather taught me to soak the the little the little corn kernels or whatever seeds in the ground for at least 24 hours because it'll cut three to five days off of the germination period if it's saturated with water. It's, speed it up. You do things to accelerate it, but it still takes 60 days for you know corn or 90 days or whatever you know whatever it is. So a seed, what else? Roots. Okay. Huh? Roots. Okay, the roots go down and then the and then the the plant comes up and then even after the plant comes up there's there's a, some harvest there. There's some there's, there's an ear or a kernel or whatever else, and then that has to be ripened. What other analogies besides seeds? Figs, which you mentioned, Sunday morning. Okay, like fig a tree, a fig tree. Fruit tree. Very good. Babies who desire
3: sincere milk of the word. Okay,
0: babies who desire the sincere milk of the word. Very good. So you have trees that are bearing fruit. And I I planted apple trees at my house that I went to Gross's Orchard and got five years ago when I first moved in. And I have yet to get the first apple off of them because they're really small. And I'm just, I'm waiting. And I'm, you know, it's frustrating. It's like I bought these Virginia trees because you're not supposed to buy one, you know, they'll, they'll bear if they're, they're grown in the same soil and all this I, and because I wanted apples and I haven't got the first apple off of it you know? I fertilize it I put mulch around it, I do well Jared does that, you know, that's the reason you have boys too. <laughs> I haven't got the first apple, five years babies clay Eleanor um Got up for you this morning and made you, uh, you know, steak and eggs for breakfast, right? No, yeah, that's next week. <laughs> that's next. <laughs> week. <laughs> what else? Good, good soil, huh? Good soil. Good soil, very good. Gold, huh? Being refined. Okay, gold being refined. I was just going to say the process of pruning
2: or weeding yeah. in that garden, which that that part of
0: spiritual growth in our life. Be paid for. <laughs> I hate it. I do. I hate it. Last week was hard. The week before that, you know, I just soared along. I mean, I didn't want to stop praying whenever I prayed. I read the Bible, oh, it's just full of joy. Last week, it was like swimming in concrete. I told the guys that on Saturday morning, you know, men's prayer. Every time I went to pray, it was, it was, it was hard. Every time I went to study, it was war. Um, Tracy was mean last week. <laughs> I was mean last week at times. I had to repent. It was hard. It was a process. Everything you described involved time and involved truth. Everything in, in, in that you described involved, involved time. There was a tree, there was a seed, um, there was a baby. Who desires milk that turns to meat? I mean, that's a long time. This is not. I'm going to come on Sunday, you know, and get my truth injection for the week, and I'm good to go. It, it's it's labor and it's time, time and truth, time and truth. going to be strong in the Lord. TNT. Time and truth, and it, it and it happens over. over over a period of of time. So don't rush to make outward applications, Um, focusing on changes in mere behavior. Moreover, this is important too, a tree, a vine, they're not quick, they're not long-term. Have a long-term view of growth, is what I'm trying to say. A long-term view of growth that takes time and tending with the truth. Moreover, one's individual personal application of Scripture may be be a necessary outward change for them, but not for all others. In fact, our personal applications of biblical principles have no inherent authority. Only truth is objective and divinely authoritative. Now, if you wrestle with something, if there's a rock in the garden that takes a while for God to dig out, or you don't understand something and you finally understand it. You can be get It takes a lot of effort, so you can get really passionate about that. And whatever you become really passionate about, you typically want to share that passion with other people. And that may not be bad, but just make sure that you're not using your personal experience or your personal application of a principle and binding somebody else's conscience by it, because that's not authoritative. The way that you've worked the angle... The Bible gives us commands and prohibitions. Those are the blacks, black and whites. You do this. You do not do that. Those are non-negotiables. Whether you're at Timberlake Baptist Church or whatever community church down the road, God said it into discussion. He commanded it or he prohibited it. But there's a whole lot of the rest of the Bible that are principles. And then you have to learn how to apply those principles in your life. You got to understand the principle, and then you got to apply it in your life. Um, and the way you apply that is not authoritative on somebody else, okay? Um, and you have to be really careful with that. That's what Romans 14 is all about: weak conscience, strong conscience, and then the way that wherever your conscience is, you begin to evaluate other people based upon you know your conscience. All right, here's the questions I was telling you about that are, you know, that are, that are convicting. You may have a comment on uh, on one or two before we go to some key implication questions. How do you do this? How do you interrogate yourself? Yeah, Professor Brown, yeah. I was thinking about,
4: like an illustration, Yeah, you know, I think as we, we were saying we need to apply the truth but not to rush to that application before we deal with that inner, our inner life here, and I think, For instance, Ephesians 5 says we're going to love our wives like Christ loves the church. And if you preach that to us, you say, okay, it needs to be sacrificial. So to apply this, you need to go buy flowers for your wife. You need to take your wife on a date once a week. You need to, um, you know, spend at least three hours a week talking with your wife. Like, those are all really good things to do. Those are all applicational. But those are not binding. And so if we rush to that... And just say okay to apply the truth you need to do these things and we never deal with the fact of like why am i not loving my wife like christ loves the church what do i desire most when i come home you know uh, what are the idolatries in my heart that are motivating me to do x y z we we will rush to those outward things before we really deal with uh, the true heart change needs to take place that will fuel all these other areas you know of, of life and you know what does it look like to actually love our wife like Christ loves the church and why am I not doing that What's, what are the root desires there and the root thinking behind that so that's a, a just a, a, an illustration of kind of what we're talking about with this danger of rushing toward our application so
0: I hope you guys listen to that because that was beautiful, perfect I'm, I'm glad you let me off the hook on that buying flowers yeah <laughs> 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 the key of what he said though was if you go there before where 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 do you start? you start with asking yourself the question what's going on in my heart? what's keeping me? what do I desire more than what God commands me to desire? what do I want whenever I come home and I walk through the door? I want peace I want whatever what what is it about me? well how does that passage implicate me? Um, and you may end up with the flowers sure you start there, so yeah, that's how you moralize Christianity. Just make it about behaviors when it's supposed to just radically expose your heart. Ed.
2: And to go along with that, um, I've been learning that one for 35 years, <laughs> okay. And I've learned I'm going to be learning that for the rest of my life. Amen. That's one of those growth areas where you just don't get there and say I'm there.
0: Amen. Amen. Don't arrive, do we?
3: else yeah Uh, quite often my uh, there's so many books out there and a lot of them some are better that drive me to the truth than others um, but really the only book that we need and what I found the most productive is just continuing to read the word and getting to know the truth because a lot of those books are guys discussing their truth not necessarily God's truth um, even when they're they're good scholars of the word, yeah, um, it's if you're not grounded in the truth, how do you have a uh, a sight to um, figure out what is true and what's not true?
0: Yeah, that's good. You got to know the word to be able to put it into you know put it into practice. Um, I was talking to a guy yesterday about airplanes. My son Jared wants to fly, wants to learn to fly, and um, I had a guy recommend that you know maybe going through the A and P part of the, of the program, where you learn what Jeff's son did, John Mark, you learn how to work on the airplanes, actually would be beneficial whenever you're flying you know, the planes. Knowing how the airplane works would be great knowledge, could be handy knowledge whenever you, you, know, you learn how to fly. You don't have to do that, but that's basically what you're talking about, knowing the word yourself. The more you know it, the better that you know you can apply it, um, apply it in your life. Um. All right, look at Ezekiel fourteen. How do you do that? How do you take a truth that you hear? Or a passage that you read, or a sermon, and let it dig around in your heart. Reveal your heart. How do you not just do the flowers, but you ask, What am I desiring here that's keeping me from doing this? Or causing me to sin in some way? Some key implication questions, and he begins with, "How does the truth confront my will? Okay, what am I um, doing or not doing? How does it confront my will? You, you find a way to do what you want to do. How does the truth confront my will? What are the uh, what idolatries?" of the heart must I confess and forsake so Ezekiel chapter 14 verses 1 through 8 what idols are there then some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down and the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man these men have set up their idols in their hearts now, some of we hear in the Old Testament about idols, we think of these little statues. But those statues represent something. And that's the real issue. And here, Ezekiel nails it. What are the idols of the heart? These men have set up idols in their hearts and have put uh, right before their faces the stumbling block of their, of their iniquity. An idol is something that promises you something that you should only be getting from God. And you it promises you whatever it might be, whatever it is that you peace. I want peace. And so the alcohol or you know the the exercise or the food or the or the sex or the whatever it is, it promises you something that may be legit but you're supposed to get it from God and then sometimes it even fulfills that an idol sometimes gives you what you're looking for whenever I drank which I don't now whenever I did um, it gave me what I was looking for it promised me some peace and relaxation after I come home I'm going to wind down you know so have a beer or two or three or four or six. And that's the way the process went. For me it started with one to two to three to four. Now I wasn't like the alcoholic that goes to AA falling down. I was fully functional. I mean, you know, I, I could not drink it, or I could drink it. And I like drinking it. But it promised me peace. It promised me something. It promised me courage, where I had a lot of fear of man. So whenever I drank, it 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 reduced some of those some of those fears that you actually fulfilled it. But then in the process, an idol, while it may meet your need to begin with, it ends up enslaving you. It promises you something. It may even give you that to begin with, but then it begins to demand that you worship it. It demands that you come to it more. It demands that you give everything to it. And then it gets into a situation where you love it, can't live without it, but you hate it (laughs) because it's enslaved you. It's a banquet in the grave. Proverbs says. A mouthful of ashes. Give a banquet. And the banquet is in in the grave. And those idols are in the heart. You set up idols in your heart. Look at verse 4. Therefore speak to them and tell them Thus says the Lord God any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I ah, the Lord will be brought uh, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel what's God's target? It's the heart who are who are." Estranged from me through their idols an idol will separate you from the Lord and God will speak he's aiming at the heart to tear the idol down that's in the heart so he can bring you back to him verse 6 therefore says therefore say to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God repent turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all of your abominations anyone of the house of Israel or of the immigrants who stay in Israel who separates himself from me, sets up idols in his heart, puts right before his face a stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me for himself I the Lord will be brought to answer him in his own person, I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb I will cut him off from my people so you will know that I am the Lord God is a jealous God and he won't play around with idols so he tells us not to so he says idols of the heart God will oppose them he will be against them God will expose them like a sign or a proverb and God will will cut off or you will be separated from him if you persist and the reason is so you'll know who the one true and living living God is. So what idols of the heart must I confess or say? How does the Word expose my heart? What I desire more than God. What I'm seeking to do something for me that only God promises to do or I should look to the Lord. Where am I getting fellowship? Am I getting fellowship in the body of Christ? Or am I getting fellowship you know, with with whoever on the ball field, or wherever at work, or whatever, um, where am I experiencing oneness? Is it with my wife, or is it with somebody else? What is promising me something that only God can deliver? Um, and so you ask yourself that question whenever you're sitting. Whenever you're sitting under under the Word, I, I shared with you on Sunday. Sunday night it was one of the things that was most convicting to me about the sermon was for 40 years almost 40 years Israel continues with the worship thinking that they're worshiping God, it's all leaves it's no fruit and the judgment's already on the way and they have no idea and they get up, they live their life they go to the temple, they still have the Passover they still have a couple million people there they're still setting up the tables after Jesus is crucified, he raises from the dead they continued you know, with all those things. I asked myself the question, "Lord, what am I blind to? What, what am I doing that, that I'm not aware of?" Good hey, Brian? Yeah. Uh, the classic definition of Dr. Paulson is anything you want
2: so bad you're willing to disobey God for is an idol. Repeat that. Anything you want so bad, you're willing to disobey God to get, it, is an idol. It's very good. It is
1: good. Yeah. I found that, uh, like you, I had a problem with alcohol, and and it was obvious. Mm-hmm. And when I started getting closer to God, He was saying, "This is something you need to take control of." And and there were other things uh, that were obvious to me, and I felt like obvious to everyone that uh, a Christian man is not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But there are other things that, that were a little less uh, obvious. Yes. And so with prayer, God says, you know, you need to watch your language. Mm-hmm. If you're going to walk around and talk about God, you need to not be so profane with your language. Excellent. And so I found that the more I conquer, or with the help of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, the and in prayer, the mm-hmm. Lord says now that you've got this one under control, Let's work on that one. But just like you said with the verses, let's not forget what we have. Let's not forget those verses we learned. Mm -hmm. Let's continue to conquer the alcoholism. Right. But now, as we strive for holiness, because my
3: Father in heaven is holy, we have to be in prayer and use that Holy Spirit.
0: Excellent, brother. Amen. Amen. One step. The next step. Another block, another block, spiritual building, and review, and review. That's
2: good. And sometimes the desires for those things don't go away. I remembered our former, and this is one thing we've talked about breaking. So this relates to that. A friend of mine. One day we were actually doing some landscaping around our church in Columbus. Both of us had been saved. Later in our adult lives, and it was in the summer, it was a hot day. We're outside, and we're uh, <coughs> on our knees in a flower garden. And we did plant stuff, and he looked over at me and he said, Man, he said, and he kind of whispered because we he said, Wouldn't the cold beer taste good right now? And I said, Yes, it would both of us realizing that really wasn't what we need, but we remember in our old life what we would have ran to to refresh us at that time. We said, yeah. And I've had people ask me about my you know, not drinking. They said, Don't you drink or, you don't know, don't you like beer or like it? and I said, No, that's my problem. I do like it, that's why I
0: don't drink <laughs> Like it from the first one I ever drank. And the point of that is not this liquid that has a little bit of alcohol in it. The, the point of that is desiring something, turning to something, using something that God's supposed to give you. Uh, a replacement that's there. Um, and so that's the temptation. When it turns into an idol, whenever it becomes sin, is whenever you're willing to disobey God to get it what unholy motivations are there unholy motivations ruling me is there any unbiblical heretical thought pattern okay Lord how am I living am I practicing listen to a sermon am I doing this? am I not doing this? how can I change my doing that's the you know the confronting the will Lord what idols of the heart? Must I confess forsake? Is there, is there any way that, that I'm seeking X, whatever it might be? And I should be seeking you. I should be getting this from you. Am I, am I doing it? What, what, what's motivating me? And then, does my thinking need to change. This helps you see from Scriptures, from the Scripture, why you do what you do. Helps people see God's perspective in yeah. <coughs> every every location. So, knowledge doesn't mean material. You can know a lot and be a spiritual baby. Um, how much of what you know are you actually putting into practice? And that's what we're talking about closing thoughts. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Father we come before you and I come before you and I give you thanks for these men we've only done this three times but for three consistent weeks I have looked forward to this hour and 15 minutes um, more than than about any other thing Um, I am I need them, I'm thankful for them thankful that you uh, helped them thankful that they want to be here and they got out of bed to come and that they're pursuing you with me um, I thank you for the brotherhood that's here and I pray that you'll bless them today and I pray that you'll keep us pure and I pray that you'll expose the idols of our hearts and I pray that you would help us to learn help us to know help us to think right but then help us not to end there. Help us to put it into practice. Yeah. Where we don't know how to do that, help us to keep coming here. Help us to come to other brothers um, so we can learn how to do that together. Watch over us today, watch over our families, as you promised to do. Uh, bless us that we might be able to be a blessing to others in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So There's some coffee.